Welcome to KBCast, the podcast for security executives, interviewing people from around the globe on how organizations can operate smarter and stay safer. I caught up with Alice, who Here's recently conducted Carissa some research Brain. on social media and data privacy, which focus on Australian consumers. I wanted to sit down and chat with her about some of her key insights that she discovered during her research. We talked about the psychology around why people predominantly under 35 are sharing a lot of their information on social media, but also some of the ramifications around doing so. I wanted to position this conversation from a security perspective and understand at a fundamental level where we can improve as an industry. If you're keen to find out a little bit more about some of the findings, then please keep on listening. So, Alice, this is such a random roundabout way how I actually got introduced to you because we're not in the same field, but it was Shannon Sedgwick that introduced us. And it was interesting because what you've done in terms of your report and the research that you wanted to conduct really was interesting to me because you don't come from a cyber or a privacy background. So, to me, it was almost like, oh, wow, that's uh, that's amazing to see because a lot of people um, – outside of security don't really care. So that was definitely um, something that I was admirable about because not many people care to the level if they're not inside our industry. So I'm really, really keen today to get into some of the insights from your report. But before we dive on into that, let's talk a little bit about where your career started and what you're sort of doing now. Yeah. Um, well, firstly, thank you for having me on today to chat about this. Like you said, it's it, cybersecurity is not my industry either, but obviously working with uh, Australians data has been what I've been doing for the past 20 years of my career. So I come from a media and advertising background. I've worked for the likes of News Corp, Channel 9, Channel 7, Fairfax, when it was Fairfax, and always in a research and insights area that so was all about understanding the audiences, understanding trends, industries, um, and obviously using that to package it up to be able to sell to advertisers and basically say, we have the most valuable audience because of X, Y, and Z. Um, and for the last, God, I would, I would have to say 10 years, um, every conference that I've presented at or that I've attended, there's been someone on stage saying data is gold, data is gold. And it's only really in the last couple of years that that's really taken off where these big media organizations have done a lot of partnerships with huge data houses. And I'm talking about the likes of, you know, Woolworths, uh, so some of the big organizations that have been building up loyalty, so Qantas and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it, that, working in that area of data was was fantastic because a lot of it was there was the personal identifiable information um, data that was captured but we actually did, weren't exposed to but then there was a whole lot of data where it was all anonymized and and you know we didn't actually know who we were tracking and we were using that for behavioral targeting um, advertising and I found working in that area was quite good but that kind of exposed me to the other side of data which I started to get a bit concerned about and that was in particular across social media I've always been quite protective of my data and I think that's because I have an understanding of it this research all came about because I was having a conversation with my family one evening and it was when we were in lockdown in Sydney and uh, my younger sister who's um I won't tell you how much younger she is but uh (laughs) She was talking about this new fun app, TikTok, and I'd heard about it and, um, you know, I'd been exposed to it, but I, I hadn't downloaded it at this stage. And uh, she was all over it and she thought it was the best thing since sliced bread. So I uh, I got onto it and I downloaded it. And, you know, to put it bluntly, it kind of got me and my family through lockdown. There's hilarious videos. A lot of it's stupid. Um, you just think Australia's funniest term videos on an app and, you know, when everything was a bit down and flat, you went to TikTok and it kind of pepped you up. Um, but then I started seeing things about the alleged 
data sharing with the Chinese government and that kind of got me a bit concerned and I did a bit of further digging and I went actually I don't like how much access this this app and other social media apps have to have to me um, and to my device so I deleted it and then I had this conversation with my younger sister and she said um, I don't care who has my data they can have it and I said do you really think that do you really understand that she's like yeah I don't care I've got nothing to hide and then I spoke to my mother around the same conversation and she said look I, I don't really like it but it, you know I have to give these social media organizations some of my data because it's the only way that I can communicate with you kids and this got me thinking is this a common mindset amongst Australians that mm-hmm. they don't either don't care about their data they don't know about their data um, or they feel like they're forced into it because that's how they have to participate in social media so that's kind of how this research started so it's similar to what I've done in my career but it's in a completely different industry and I came across Shannon because I was typing out the questionnaire for this research piece and I thought to myself you know what I'm a media person no one's going to take me too seriously when I'm out in market um, preaching about data privacy and data security and and so I thought I need to I need to partner with someone who knows this field who knows this area mm-hmm. um and Shannon came highly recommended and you know within meeting him straight away I was like yep yeah, you are the guy that I that I want to kind of help guide me with this research piece just to make sure that I was talking the right lingo and I was asking the right questions and you know I'm, I'm about reporting very factual stuff and so I had to have the facts correct before I designed anything Wow. So that it's really interesting when you talked about sort of your, your journey from historically speaking, working in large media organizations. And then it's kind of almost been like a bit of a long time coming, I'd say, for for developing this type of research, because I guess your mind's always been thinking on the other side of the coin from an advertising perspective, as you mentioned, behavioral targeting. And then you probably started to spark your interest back then. But then perhaps the catalyst was your sister downloading TikTok. And then maybe much to her point on uh, that she doesn't care about it now when she sort of said to you hey Alice like I don't really care where do you think that that comes from like what does she mean when she says that specifically um without being unkind to her she's my sister and I love her um it's there's naiveness there's mm-hmm. a lack of awareness around mm-hmm. what actually happened the data so and and this is this is the thing that I wanted to do this research for is because her idea of data was that when she signed up for social media they got her age her gender um they might have captured some things that she likes but that's about it so mm-hmm. when when we talk about data you know obviously it's a lot deeper than that and it's a lot granular and what's more personal and more targeted and it's obviously a lot more valuable but in mm-hmm. a many Australians mindset when you ask them, oh, do you care about your online data? They literally just think it's name, age and sex. You know, there's this there's this lack of awareness around what it actually is. And when I sat her down and I said, okay, I'm going to teach you about data. She rolled her eyes at me, but I was like, no, no, you need to, <laughs> you need to understand this. This is the value of data. This is what can happen when somebody gets a hold of your data and this is the risks and the challenges and this is what happens. And at, at the end of it, she's like, yeah, yeah, I get all that, but but I, what do I do? Like how do I participate in social media with you know, you know without handing over that data and this is where it all started to kind of piece together that there are so many things wrong in this whole picture that need you know I can stand there and preach what needs to be done but there's so many parties that need to be involved to actually get this into a stage where Australians are comfortable and confident and knowledgeable about their online data that you know it's it's going to take more than just me doing this research piece and I think what it all kind of falls back on the social media organizations themselves I mean it, it all starts when you download the app and you have to read the terms and conditions um, I, somebody recently told me that a lawyer sat down and read the terms and conditions for one of the social media apps and he predicts it would have taken him 60 hours to read this whole document 
And that is a lawyer reading it who understands the jargon within terms and conditions. So, you know, it all starts there to me because I've actually asked the question in the research piece, do you read the terms and conditions? And a significant amount of people don't read the terms and conditions. Um, most just quickly scroll through and hit accept without kind of reading anything in depth. And that's where it all starts because within the terms and conditions actually highlights what data will be captured and, and in some cases how it's going to be used and stored and, um, and retained. And the fact that they're not reading it, it it's, it's kind of a catch-22 because you, you say to them, well, you've got to read the terms and conditions because it's listed there. But then they say, well, what, I don't have time to read those terms and conditions mm-hmm. and I also don't understand them. So that's the first kind of roadblock um, of, of not being able to build the awareness for this audience because mm-hmm. it's, we're just, they're just making it too hard for them. And so the easy way out is just go, okay, fine, I, I accept. Um, and I think that's what my sister in particular has done for, in many cases is just be like, I'm not reading that and hit accept because she just doesn't understand the importance of it. No, I love everything you're saying. And I think it's really interesting because the stuff that you're talking about is the constant talk in the market. And I think that, and I know we're going to dive into this a little bit later, but it's how do we get that messaging out? How do we go about that? So we will dive into that later. But one of the things that's really interesting before setting out on your quest for doing your research, what was some of your hypothesis before going out and doing this research that you thought uh, would be the case around privacy in Australia? I had a couple because obviously when I'm going out talking to Australians 18 plus, um, I knew that there would be very altering views in this research. Um, And that was basically backed up. So my initial gut feeling when I was designing this research was that there would be a large portion of people that just didn't care. Um, Mm -hmm. And there'd be a large large portion within those that don't care because they don't know. Um, But then there'd also be those others that just, you know, like myself, I I have social media and I care about my my online data and I try and make it as private as possible and protect it as possible. But, you know, funnily enough, I launched the report and within 24 hours, my LinkedIn was hacked. (laughs) I don't know if that was just a bit of a, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, it wasn't hacked. My profile was stolen and some person sent out an email to a lot of people's contacts, not to mine, basically selling products. And it was hilarious how many people actually fell for it because they were like, oh, okay, you know, Alice must be doing things a bit tough during COVID. She's now selling these products. Oh my god! There were typos. There were, I got sent the email. There were typos all the way through it, and I was like, "Come on, guys! I, I, I can spell, <laughs> um, and I like to think I'm a little bit professional that I would I'd actually hit spell check before sending something out." But that was quite coincidental, and I don't know if that was kind of off the back of the report being released or whatever it was. But I like to protect my data and my profiles. You know, my Facebook and Instagram are, are very private, and you can't really see much unless you're, you know, family or close friend. However because I do still participate in it, there's there's a whole lot of stuff that happens that I'm not comfortable with it. But in order to participate, I have to just kind of make sure that I monitor it closely. So I knew that there'd also be a portion there. So in a nutshell, I just wanted to understand where people's views were on data privacy, what their knowledge base was. And my hypothesis changed throughout the project because there was, you know, areas that kind of came up and rang alarm bells. And I thought, okay, I need to kind of shift it and cover that. And obviously after speaking to Shannon, I wanted to incorporate some of his views into it. So in a nutshell, it was just to get an awareness level of whether they read terms and conditions, whether they um, actually care about their data privacy or their online data. And I kind of thought to myself that basically they care, but not enough to do anything about it. So when you say knowledge base, what do you think that looks like as an average Australian person? And I'm trying to look at it and my mind's just thinking here that I'm trying to look at it outside of a security point of view because 
I'm a security practitioner and everyone, or not everyone, but a lot of people I speak to are in this space. I'm trying to get myself out of my own shoes to be like, how do people perceive this? Yeah. So the best way, I'm like you I, in that I, because I work in data, I have a strong understanding of it. But the best thing that I do for me and my work is I speak to a lot of people who aren't involved in this area. Um, mm-hmm. And every time I build research, I always kind of take in the, the discussions that I've had with outside people. And I, I know that I'm using my poor sister again, but, you know, she she doesn't work in media. She doesn't work in data. Um, and she is of a different generation to me. So she's she's someone that I tap into quite a lot. But her mindset was the first I heard where she's like, you know, we don't care about our online data and, you know, it's just social media and what are they going to do? And I've got nothing to hide and they can have it. And Alice, you're being paranoid. And so I just literally took what she said and asked a whole lot of people that I know that work outside this area. And they all said the same thing. They're like, yeah, yeah, we don't care. And so Mm -hmm. I started digging a little bit deeper with these people. And as soon as I asked questions, they were like, oh, yeah, I didn't know that that happened. Oh, yeah, that's true. I'm yeah, I don't know how I would serve that ad because I've never searched for this product or whatever it is. And so I left that with this strong feeling that, yeah, there's a lack of awareness. And, and that is the core issue. The lack of awareness brings a naiveness to mm-hmm. the Australian population when it comes to their online data. And then there's that poor segment, which, you know, I don't want to sound patronising. You think about my, my parents are in their 70s. Well, <laughs> mum would shoot me because she is uh, not quite 70, but it's that demographic that are like, in order for us to communicate with our kids who are only communicating by social media platforms now, we have to be a part of social media. So mum has gone into it in an uncomfortable state because she's like, I feel like I need to be on this platform just to communicate with my family. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't like it, but she's also very vulnerable to the the links within the newsfeed of, you know, what do you look like when you're 21 or, you know, how would you look? with brown hair or whatever it is, those silly little applications that pop up in social media. She's also quite vulnerable to that. Um, mm-hmm. She's also quite vulnerable to fake news, which is opening up a, a whole different conversation. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's that lack of awareness that's replicated across every single age group, um, 18 plus. There's a common thing that we talk about in the industry. It's trading privacy for convenience. Would you say that that's a fair assumption across the research that you've conducted? Yes, Definitely. There's that, but then there's also, and it's particularly for the under 35s, mm-hmm. there's just a lack of care. So it's not so much convenience, but there's still a lack of care. Even when you talk about potentially having your private data hacked or your personal data being used to influence um, or sway opinions or being sold to a third-party organisation, the under 35s just don't care. Even if you paint the whole picture of what could happen with their personal data, it's like, oh, I'll deal with it if it happens. But there's also an element of it won't happen to me because they go, well, no, no, I've got a tight password. But if I ask them, do you have multi-factor authentication? They're like, well, no, I don't have that. But, you know, I change my password a lot. So mm. it's like a sense of arrogance, want of a bit of a word for under 35s. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just, as I said, just a lack of care. They just don't care. One of the things that's interesting about that, so I'm uh, under the 35 category, but obviously I'm an anomaly because I'm in this space, but even speaking yeah. to my friends outside of security, they're like, KB, I only ever cared about this stuff because of you. I didn't know about it. And now yeah. I can go and ask you point blank, hey, what is the COVID app uh, and the TikTok app? Like, what does all this mean for me specifically as a consumer? And I think yeah. there's not enough people out there in terms of trusted sources to be able to provide that information. And would you say with the under 35s, do you think it's because these people have just grown up with it? Like, I mean, I probably have my first phone. I mean, it was a very basic phone, uh, maybe when I was in like year seven or year eight. And I think that I've had a phone then ever since. So what, 13, 14 years of age, I've had a phone ever since. 
And I think it just becomes so ubiquitous then that could you imagine people living without a phone now, like being in that era where phones weren't a thing like that you were strapped to 24 by seven, like you'd have to go home and say, oh yeah, I'll call you at 7.30 on your house phone. Like people don't have house phones anymore. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. They've, they've grown up with it. And in growing up with it, they should have more of a, an awareness around how it actually is used and what kind of data is involved. But I also think they're of a generation where it's all about following the trends and it's all about, mm-hmm. you know, having the latest and the greatest. And without going into another area, it's also about look at me. You know, we know disrespect, but there's a lot of people under 35 that are in the very much look at me platform. So within the research, uh, I actually broke out and with social media, I had two audience segments. One were publishers and one were wallflowers. So this was designed purely off the amount of activity that they do on social media. The publishers, a lot of them had public Instagram profiles. They were oversharers. They were posting videos, text, pictures, and multiple times a day. And uh, a lot of them of that audience kind of go, well, I want to kind of show the world my life. And then you've got the wallflowers who there's actually a significant amount of wallflowers who are 35 to 54, but majority of them were 55 plus. I think it's a couple of different things. I think, you know, that generation is all about, like I said before, look at me. They've also grown up with this technology. So they have a level of biased awareness because Mm -hmm. they can't live without these platforms and they've grown up with them. So Mm -hmm. it's to them a part of their life. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's still not a full awareness. And then there's the skeptics, which are the older ones that are like mm-hmm. myself, which kind of look at it and go, oh, yeah. And, you know, I know I work in the industry, so I interrogated a whole lot more. This all kind of came about when the TikTok app and, and the Chinese government partnership was being discussed at many, many, um, not I was going to say dinner parties, but, <laughs> you know, video dinner parties. And mm-hmm. um, there was this real concern. And a couple of people actually asked me, is this whole thing with the Chinese government true? And I was like, look, I actually don't know what to believe and no evidence, hard evidence has come out saying this has actually happened. But my thing to every person when they download an app and ask for access to their microphone, their camera, their media files, their contacts, is ask the question why. Why do they need access to this? And so that's part of being part of the learning piece with rolling this research out as well. One of the things I'm curious about when you said some of the oversharers, can you give some examples of what that looks like? How deep and granular are we going when you talk about oversharers? Look, it fix like posting pictures of their passport on Instagram. Wow, um, okay, with, that's that's with all, with all the details and or even even the pass. What was well, this? If they're flying business class, they need to find it. So this is getting into the psychology area of social media, and it's something that absolutely fascinates me. Mm. Um, The whole psychology side of social media is actually really, really dangerous. It's all about showing people that you have this incredible life when in actual fact, behind the scenes, it probably doesn't replicate what the life is showing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so people want to, they want to be kind of envied. And that's where social media really kind of feeds into that. Mm -hmm. And the best way to do that is to highlight, I'm flying business class to, I probably shouldn't use this example because it's really cool given the whole lockdown, (laughs) but I'm flying business class to London and that will just pump up the likes, which will make the person feel good about themselves. And so they just keep oversharing. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, Self-dealing prophecy then really, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And it's it's even, you know, people taking a picture um, out the front of the house that they've just sold with a big sold sign. The address is actually listed on the on mm-hmm. the sold sign. And so that's basically giving away your address to not just to your followers, but if you've got a public profile, to anyone and everyone. But when I talk about oversharing, I, I yes. talk about that kind of stuff. They're, they're basically just handing not only their personal data to the social media platform, but 
anyone and everyone to say, hey, you know, I live a very affluent lifestyle, which might or might not be the case, and this is where I live. (laughs) So, you know, they may as well just say, come rob me. Oh my gosh, that definitely is another conversation which I can touch on very deeply. But one of the things I'd really love to dig into now is one of the insights that I read within your report, which was over 70% of Australians are concerned about data privacy, yet less than one quarter use a password and multi-factor authentication as security for their social media. So talk to me about this. So as I said, I'm coming from a security practitioner point of view and now sort of working in more this awareness space. When I read this statistic, I read this as if we failed as an industry in providing guidance around how to do this. I'm really keen for you to talk more intelligently on this. This also comes back to the psychology of designing research um, because obviously you you want to ask the questions to get the real answers and not prompted answers or or not the fake answers. And so one of the questions I asked was, um, you know, do you care about your online data privacy? And, you know, quite a lot of people were like, yeah, 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 I do. And they're like, do you understand what social media organizations get access to when you sign up for the app? And they're like, yep, yep, totally across it. However, when you then swing the questions around and you say, okay, well, do you know this or do you sign up for this? That is when the true knowledge starts to come out because, you know, when I asked, do you care about your online privacy? A lot of people said yes. When you said, okay, so what is your security? Like, do you have, how often do you change your password? Do you have multi-factor authentication? And a lot of them didn't. So it's like they care about it, but they're not doing anything about it. And again, I'm guessing it just comes down to a lack of awareness. So the problem is a lot of people sign into social media And, you know, I I used to be like this before I became a lot more aware, but I'd sign on to Facebook um, on the app on my phone and then that was it. I didn't sign in again. I just access it and, you know, it wouldn't be until I got an email from somebody saying, I just got this message off you that's trying to, you know, push me somewhere and I think, okay, so I've been hacked. So I would go and change my password and see that my password hadn't been changed for two years and, you know, it's that kind of thing. It's not really front and center that they need to protect and look after and monitor their privacy. And I think that's probably where the strongest issue is with social media organizations is I don't feel that they're doing enough to protect their users' data. I need to flag I'm not against social media, but I think social media organizations have a lot to answer for. And I think that they're very responsible for Australian social media data. And they're the ones that should be saying, we want to work with you and we want to keep your data safe. And this is what we think that you should be doing. So I think all falls back onto them to be able to keep that data safe because they're the ones that are basically controlling it. They're not going to tell you exactly what they're doing with it, but they at least should give the access to the consumers to be able to say, okay, this is what I'm going to be doing. Yeah, that's really interesting. When you spoke about they should know what the terms are, one of the things as part of the terms with a lot of these social media platforms are that you agree that we can change the terms whenever we want. So if you're engaging with a statement of work for a company and you change the terms, you obviously they have to re-agree to it. But part of the terms in social media are we can change the terms whenever we want, however we want, and you've now just given us access to do that. So that's something that is, of course, alarming. But the other thing that's interesting about that point is I've asked uh, people on this podcast actually around the globe would you say that social media companies or any sort of company that is collecting large amounts of data are writing terms in a way that are convoluted, discombobulated with the intent that people go, oh, it's all too much. I don't get any of that. It's all too long. Like you said, 60 hours and then just clicking accept to sort of circumvent people, perhaps asking questions. And they said, you're absolutely right. And I said, well, do you think that'll ever change? And they said, well, probably not only because that if they start to make it more obvious in what they're doing, they're probably going to lose business from it. So unless it's heavily regulated, which is hard to do because it's on the internet in terms of like jurisdiction, 
How do you audit that? And I think that until that probably changes, it's going to be really, really hard to get the power back because a lot of people have already lost it. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. And the thing is, I know that there has to be really tight legal documents in place for users to sign. And I know that there's a lot that has to be covered. And I know that there's all this liability that kind of falls back on the social media and they have to cover their ass. And I I get all that. But at the end of the day, if they are writing a document that the average Australian does not understand, it's too long, it's too in-depth, they just have – I've tried reading one before and I'm like, yep, I don't know that word, I've got to Google that, or I don't understand that sentence, I've got to look at that. And if if it just becomes too hard, they're not going to go, oh, well, I'm just not going to download this app. They're going to go, no, I really want to access this app. And so they downloaded it and they just – forfeit any kind of knowledge that they might have about the partnership that they've gone into. And, you know, I think that's one of the really dangerous things. They're going into it quite blindly and they're handing over truckloads of personal data and not really understanding the overall impact that 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 is having. And also the the gold and the value of this data. And I I Mm use the example in the report that um, it was, I think it was one in 10 Australians have been hacked or had their social media hacked in the last two years. And that's a significant amount of people. And if it was one in 10 Australians that had had their house broken into in the last two years, then that would be a crime spree. That would be something to make the politicians and the Australian government go, there's obviously something really wrong going on here, so let's look into this. Whereas this just seems to be, like, accepted. It seems like, okay, yeah, you know, there's been another data breach at this organisation, there's been this. And I just don't think that organisations are being held to account to holding on to this incredible data and and protecting it, you know, without going into Cambridge Analytica too much because I go into it in the report. That whole scenario is frightening um, from somebody who has worked in the the psychology of data in media without sounding overly dramatic, even though this is, it kind of made my heart stop that this data was being used to sway um, an election and that it basically succeeded. Mm-hmm. Like there's so much that can be done with data. And so for Australians to just not care about that because they don't know about it because they don't read these terms and conditions, which is actually where it all kind of starts, it's hugely alarming for me. It's kind of like there's an unfair advantage from the get-go, right? Like you're absolutely right in terms of they're written in a way that you're not going to bother reading it or you're not going to go and pay a legal person. Like no one's going to do that. And the other thing is nothing draws a crowd like a crowd. TikTok became relatively famous because everyone was then using it and then it's like, well, it's okay because everyone else is using it. Well, that doesn't mean it's okay. Um, and we've seen this through, through other platforms. Example, Zoom, they had a lot of security issues then going on. And so my thinking was people just assumed that it was okay because every other person alongside them was using it. As a matter of fact, obviously, they fixed a lot of those issues now, but it was more about doing due diligent vendor analysis on each of these platforms. But that's probably more at a business level. But at an at a individual level, people are not going to do that. I can't even tell you any of my friends outside of the industry if they're listening to this podcast would do that and they wouldn't. They're likely to ask me, hey, Katie, what do you think about this? And so Mm. I think there's that lack of trusted advisors on who can give these people what they want in terms of information that's palatable and digestible to them because a lot of this stuff doesn't make sense. And much to your point, one of the things that I heard uh, one day was when you look at the internet, if you you drive a vehicle, if you're speeding or you run through a red light, like there are repercussions for that and then you're you're penalised. On the internet – There's no rules and it just has evolved and grown so quickly beyond belief of other people that how how do we sort of try to control that? And from a security point of view, it's getting worse because a lot of companies are operating on the internet and if you're not, then you probably should be because that's the way our economy is moving. And I think that because there's no rules written, it's then really, really hard to control that narrative. Yeah. And I I also think because consumers are constantly uh, rescued from situations that – 
it's it's not damaging enough to to shake them to want to change their behavior. An example I use is you know when I was talking to my sister about um, you know what if your credit card details were taken? She's like, well, the bank gives you the money back. You prove it's not you, and they give the money back. And I'm like, yeah, but they've now got all your personal. And she's like, I don't care. You know, the bank will give your money back. They'll pay you back. And so it's because she knows that there's like this support system that will back her up, and she won't be out of pocket mm-hmm. and all of this kind of stuff. You know, if that happens, then I I know that there'll be someone there to to kind of catch my fall. And that is also part of the issue because I think that if that wasn't the case and that, that banks were like, no, if, if you don't have tight security policies in place for your social media accounts, then we're not going to give you the money, then maybe that would change people's behaviour. That's never going to happen. But I just feel that, you know, people aren't taking responsibility for their own data because they know that in the end, you know, there's going to be something that comes along that will pick them back up. No, you're absolutely right. So it's probably more about the onus is back on the consumer. Um, I actually got asked this in a conference, oh, probably three or four years ago, because uh, I've obviously worked in a bank myself. They said, do you think that'll sort of change? And I said, look, I don't know, but I can guarantee you that if people knew that they weren't going to get their money back, I'm assuming that their responsibility and accountability would change because no one wants to just forfeit $5,000 with no sort of uh, bank backing them up by that point, because then the onus is back on the banks to be able to say, oh, okay, um, all these people got their cards skimmed and we lost all this money. And I know this because I used to actually report on those numbers for the bank uh, every month and it's quite substantial. And so um, that's interesting that you say that because I think people's mindset would change. Well, I've got to do something because I don't want to lose money because I've been willy nilly about my credit card. And all of a sudden um, I have all this money siphoned out of my account. It does happen. And I think perhaps because there's always that sort of get out of free jail card always there, it probably lessens people's reaction to if they do get hacked or breached or skinned that they don't really care because it's not on them and it's not coming out of their bottom line. Yeah. And to use the example that I used before, if, you know, if somebody breaks into your house and steals something, then the first thing you do is make the house more secure, find Correct. find where they came in and make that more secure. So why that doesn't happen online? I think it's because there's somebody standing ready and waiting and going, this was stolen from you. So here, we've given you another one. That is an issue. I think that kind of feeds into this whole thing. There's a couple of different areas. There's the people being hacked and having their personal data taken. But then there's also people that are just happily and freely giving over their personal data and not knowing what's kind of happening with it. One of the things was whether or not the average Australian understands how they pay to access social media because social media, is it can't be free. To, to build a platform like Facebook would be incredibly costly. It just can't be free. So I, I actually asked the question, how do you think that you pay for it? So a quarter think that they don't pay with anything at all. They think it's completely free. They think that it's just this free platform that they can join and it's all about communicating and sharing and participating and it's all about fun and joy. 35% thinks that advertising covers every single cost. So they don't need to pay anything at all. Um, It's purely paid for by advertising. Having worked in media, there's a reason why there's so many media organisations that are now going to a subscription model because advertising does not pay or keep a business running. Mm -hmm. Um, Really alarming at their lack of awareness about what is actually being paid for. So it was only uh, 17% that said that they give up personal information to pay for it. And 17% is actually a little bit higher than I thought it would be, but 17% is actually quite low because that is Mm -hmm. how these social media platforms stay alive. It's your data. It's your behaviours that you do there. It's your digital footprint that you do there that they then package up and sell advertisers to to third-party organisations. And so 
all of the questions that I've asked feed into this one thing of Australians say that they know what goes on, but when you ask them even deeper, it just proves that they don't actually know what's going on. And that's why there's a significant awareness piece that needs to be done here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think the other thing is as well, when you said that people are more likely to react because they know that the Chanel handbag's being stolen from their apartment in Sydney yeah. versus when you're digital, it's not tangible. You can't see it. You can't touch it. You can't feel it. Maybe there's that disconnect between, well, I can't feel the object or see it. Therefore, it becomes less relevant when I lose it. Yeah, exactly. And and what's interesting with social media is there is a fear of having your profile hacked. I can't remember the stat off the top of my head, but it was something like 60% overall would reconsider how they use social media if they had their account hacked. But yet, what are they doing about it? Nothing. They're just continuing on business as usual. So they're not trying to protect it even more. There's just so much psychology in this whole thing and trying to understand the mindsets of all these different Australians has been incredibly interesting, but also incredibly difficult because Mm -hmm. obviously we all think very, very differently. And there are so many different factors that come into consideration, but overall, a lot of them just don't have the awareness. So one of the things that's interesting that you said before, uh, in terms of one in 10, just accept that as a price to pay to participate in social media, that their account will be hacked. Talk to me about that. Like, why are people just accepting it? Like, where does that acceptance sort of uh, come from? Uh, look, I, I, I think it's because of a lack of awareness around what happens when their profile is hacked. So mm-hmm. a lot of people, um, there was a question that I asked about, you know, what do they think that when their profile was hacked, what did they think that the person actually did? And uh, most just thought that they sent spam to their contacts to try and sell stuff. Um, the others thought that they posted on their behalf. Um very, very small group thought that they had their personal information accessed from their device. And I think this is going back to the TikTok thing. I think the the concern here and all social media, I should say, is basically when you download the app, you give it access. You're basically handing over your mobile phone to this organization. And whenever a social media account is hacked, you're giving them access to that as well. And so that, that was surprising that that was relatively low because I thought that there'd be a bit more awareness around that. But there was this lack of awareness about what actually happens with their data. They, it was more of the harmless, oh, they just post stuff on my behalf or they, you know, send out spam to my contacts. There was no kind of knowledge around the, the dirty side of it or the risky side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why there's a lack of care about being hacked. And, you know, I think because in these days when you get hacked, you know, pretty pretty quickly that you have been hacked and so you can you know shut it down or a lot of the damage is done but I think in people's mindsets they're like well I was only hacked for 24 hours what could they have done at that time um so I think there's a bit of that as well but again I I know I sound like a broken record but this purely comes down to lack of awareness so if people truly knew what happened with their data when they were hacked then maybe they would be less careless with whether they've been hacked or not. No, you're absolutely right. And I think the danger around, oh, I've only been hacked for 24 hours is actually what happens post that application. Well, then your machine's probably infected and then your Gmail and all of the things. And I think that it goes beyond and it spreads because they've compromised your full machine then. And I think that that's what people don't understand, that they've got in one way, they've found, as we would call security, a vulnerability, um, or they've, they've done something to socially engineer their way through, get gotten access, and then it sort of just keeps going. And I actually had a, I had a lady, uh, she contacted me a, a fair few months back, same problem. Facebook got hacked. Long story short, I said, that looks like your machine's probably been infected. I mean, I don't know. I'm just looking on the sort of surface here. 
anyway, I gave her some tips and tricks to help her fix it. And she wrote to me and said, thank gosh, because I was trying to look online, couldn't get any information. Like, I'm so grateful. I don't know this lady, but she was so grateful to me because she's like, you don't know me. You spent all this time with me. And I said, that's okay. I just want you to pay it forward for the next person. But that leads me to my next question, because one of the things that you said personally, lack of awareness, one of the things that I was so sick of hearing when I went to cybersecurity conferences, what's the biggest issue in the industry? awareness. And I think that was probably a big push as to why I wanted to create the KBI brand to give people awareness about cybersecurity from a consumer point of view. Yes, an industry thing we do talk about as in what KBI does talk about. But the other side of that is putting the power back into the people that they understand what all these things mean. And it's relevant because every single person out there has social media, they have a mobile phone, they operate online, they do their banking online. So no one's sort of exempted from any of these issues that we've discussed. So what I really love to talk to you about and ask you is because you've got a background in media, you get it on how to get the message out there. You don't come from a security background because I think people in security just tell other people about security, which doesn't really solve the problem. It's about penetrating markets out of that. What do you think that we can do as an industry to better increase the profile of security to hopefully the next time you do your report, that those numbers aren't looking the way they are, that we've actually moved the needle. I ask this because it's something that I think does my head in because I want to be able to help out in the consumers and not have these problems that you've just talked about. And I'm just really keen to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, look, it's a mammoth challenge and I feel your passion and I, I share your passion in this. Um, I actually think that this is part of a much bigger picture. I think social media, I, I mentioned in my report that it was an addiction and I actually had some feedback from um, an ex-colleague of mine that they don't think it's an addiction. And I said, well, when somebody wakes up, the first thing that they have to do is check social media and they have to do it at least 15, 20 times a day. That to me says that it's an addiction. I think when social media is such a huge part of our lives now, whether we like it or not, it's here. There needs to be more education done on it. And I honestly, what I would like to see, I have a two-year-old daughter now and we're trying to keep her away from technology as long as possible, but it's almost impossible. But I would like to see brought into the schools because I think the best place to teach people is at school, to teach the dangers because they're all jumping onto this new fad trend, fun, funky thing and without much care and a lot of danger within social media that I know that they're starting to incorporate in schools, but I don't think that data privacy is one of them. And so I would like to see data privacy in included in the curriculum um, for, for teenage kids in particular. So that's what, that's kind of big sky idea of where I would like to kind of start with it. The other area is there is a lot of awareness on corporate level around data privacy. I think from a media perspective, from a cybersecurity perspective, we've been very good at sharing the message amongst our peers. But this hasn't infiltrated general Australia. This hasn't mm -hmm. kind of reached, um, you know, to Dubbo and New South Wales. Um, you Mums know, and or, dads. Yeah, 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 yeah. To, you know, to Jenny Donaldson on Norfolk Island, she's my mother. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't reached these areas. And and I think that is that is the challenge and how you actually do that. But you know, again, it's big sky, but I think this is where the social media organizations, in particular with social media, obviously, um, they need to kind of work with these people and say, We we want to help you protect your data and this is what we'll do. And I know that it's ironic that the social media organization says that because they're the ones that are siphoning a lot of the data, mm -hmm. but just helping them protect their data. Part of doing, you know, this research piece was because I wanted to get the awareness out that there mm -hmm. is a lack of 
from knowledge. And so one of the things that I'm trying to do is to get into mainstream media to, to, to mm-hmm. talk about this, to kind of raise awareness. So I think that one of the strongest messages that you can do when you take something to market is make it human, is make it real so that people can actually relate to it. So, you know, I've worked in data for a long time and one of the best bits of feedback that I ever got in my career was that people loved seeing me present at conferences because I humanized the data. I gave mm-hmm. real life examples and people could relate to it. Whereas there's a lot of data scientists that will stand on a stage and just talk about data as if they're talking to a room of data professionals. That's not the way to do it. So no. take it down a notch, try and get into the mindset of the average Australian and then just try and get message out. And, and whether it's using real life examples, whether it's using research, like it's going to sound like a plug, but whether it's using research like the social media data privacy report that I've done, it, it need to have these conversations. But in order to do that, some organizations and some media organizations need to take this seriously. And funnily enough, I've had a conversation with a couple of uh, mainstream media organizations about this report and it keeps getting bumped because they're like, look, it's an issue, but it's not a major issue. And obviously there's major things going on in the globe, but I'm not saying that my report is more important than that. But if this isn't given the time to increase the awareness, then it's just going to be a continually growing problem. It's surprising because media loves covering the likes of big data breaches or the likes of the TikTok Chinese government partnership, merged, I should say. Um, they love running with those stories. But when you kind of go into the, okay, so what can Australians do about it? That's when they uh, seem to back away. Um, and so I wish I had, this is what you should do. But from my perspective, it comes from, all right, Let's look at the next generation coming through. Let's educate them. Uh, I think that's probably the best place to start. And with wider Australia, I think it's just going to be slowly, slowly, unless you get the big media organisations on side, which are also data warehouses themselves. Um, it's going to be quite a challenge. No, you're absolutely right. And I love everything that you say. And I think these sort of ideas are kicking around in the industry. And one thing that you mentioned, uh, data scientist guys standing up there, probably not being human. And that's probably the biggest challenge that I see in speaking to people in this industry is you've got to speak to people like they're humans. And the disconnect is if you look at a traditional uh, computer science student, structural theory wasn't sort of at the front of mind when we thought about IT, just operate as an independent silo then. Whereas now it's actually needs to integrate with the business. And so What's happened full circle now is we're trying to retrofit, well, how do we speak to other people in the business? Because we've never really done that before. And there's this disconnect. So when you said before, people standing on stage, there's people in our industry as well, from a security point of view, that had that same problem of disconnecting with their audience because they don't actually really understand humans at a fundamental level, what makes them tick and what makes them understand why security is important. That's something as a challenge that we are trying to change. And I think people like Shannon of the world uh, has that mindset, but I think it's going to take time for that maturity in this industry to really evolve. But the last question I'd like to ask you is, would you say after all the conversations that you've had, the research that you've done, that it's a fair assumption that people in Australia just don't really care about their privacy? Yeah, unfortunately, um, I do agree with that statement. That alters by age group, if I can just throw a little caveat out there. But majority don't, but they only don't because they don't know. And I know that that probably makes no sense whatsoever. But Australians think they know, but they don't actually know about data privacy. And that is the biggest concern. There's this fake confidence, if you want to describe it that way. They are confident that they know, but then when you drill them on it, they don't know. Um, And that is the biggest problem. No, you're absolutely right. And that really concerns me. So I've absolutely 
loved a chat today, definitely going on tangents, which is the best. Uh, so <laughs> Sorry Alice, about that. No, no, no. I love that. It's it's human. It's conversational. It's organic. It's not forced. Uh, so in light of the report, if people were to go check it out, how can they go about doing that? Yes. Yeah, so head to my website, which is um, au, and it's in the report section. It is a free report. I was told I should have had a charge on it, but going back to this awareness piece, I want this report to get out to the everyday Australians, so they're not going to buy this report. So it's free. So please go on, have a read. I'd love your feedback. Please share it. Please like it. Get it out there so that, you know, more people can be talking about this. No, absolutely. And we will be propagating it through our channels as well, because I think this is really, really pertinent for industry related professionals to understand what's really going out there at the front line of consumers. And if people wanted to connect with you, what would be the best way securely, safely uh, <laughs> to <do that> <laughs> Ironically, on social media. Um, no, so the best ways to reach out is on LinkedIn. I think that's probably the best place to start. But again, if anyone wants to email me directly, then my email is alice at almadainsights.com.au if you have any specific questions. Because the report is fantastic, but it's not every single question that I did in the research and it's not every single answer. So if you would like to see more, I'm happy to share the whole deck. Well, Alice, I've absolutely adored our chat today. You're amazing. I love what you stand for. And I really, really hope that uh, us combined with some others out there can really get that report in front of the right people. So I really, really appreciate your time. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. I really appreciate being asked to come on. It was fantastic. And, uh, you know, we have obviously a shared passion here. So I would love to being a part of it. Thanks for tuning in. As always, we hope you got some new ideas or ways of thinking from this episode. And remember, you can always reach out to our guests if you do have more questions. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and we always love to hear your feedback. So leave a review on iTunes and we might just give you a shout out on a future episode. You can find me on LinkedIn as well as on at I am Carissa Breen on Twitter and Instagram. And if you'd like to know more about how we help tech companies, check out carissabreenindustries.com. Until next time, stay safer.